Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And today we're here with David Champion. David, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Great to be on. And David is co-founder and CPO at Baker Technologies. So, David, I'd love to talk a little bit about that. But before we talk about the business, I would love to get a sense of just your professional background. How did you get kind of into the cannabis space? Just so we have a little bit of context and a sense of who you are and, and what the history was like. Absolutely. I, uh, I entered the cannabis space about four years ago, 2014. My co-founders and I, uh, Joel and Roger, were in New York, and we'd been working on previous technology startups. Joel and I had been doing some consulting with technology startups and founders. And when we heard about the opportunity in Colorado at the time, dispensaries starting to do huge business, but really having no technology systems available to them to operate in the same way that other retailers are used to being able to operate in this day and age, we saw an opportunity. We saw the opportunity to build something that could allow customers to order online and dispensaries to display their products online. And really, it was more of a, a reserve ahead product. So we wanted to bring that convenience and ease to the market, which was otherwise seeing this sort of stigmatized way of yeah. purchasing cannabis that was not helpful for the legalization and, and, and reform. I know you have a background in product development and kind of really looking at sort of what does that experience look like for the users? Where did you see, I guess, why, what did you see as kind of the challenges when approaching the cannabis space or, or what, what kind of drove you to looking specifically at cannabis in that, you know, going, given all the different things that you could develop products for or develop experiences for, why this space? I think to answer that, I'll backtrack a little further yeah. before 2014. So I was trained as an architect and, and worked briefly in New York as an architect with Daniel Liebskin. And 
the training that I received was quite different than I think the way that a lot of architecture schools offer young budding architects uh, their perspective of, of that field. I was trained to look at a building and think of a building as a space that I think moves people into mm -hmm. a new emotional state, alters the way people physically move or yeah. walk through the building, alters the conversations they have and even the, the style of conversations. And that training, for example, in an architecture space would be using materiality and, and physical form and height and dimension, as well as the, uh, the lighting and acoustic qualities. I was very interested by how that same philosophy could be transferred into the space of the digital. Yeah. So on a screen, just in the same way, UX and UI designers are building an experience for people. It's not just about how nice something looks. It's about how does it make them respond to information? How does it make them communicate with their friends? How does it uh, inform new, productive, helpful ways of being in the world? And the cannabis industry entered this sphere. And I realized that the stigma around purchasing a product yeah. that's ultimately a, a naturally derived plant that can offer significant benefits to human beings, that was being undermined by the general sense of this sort of underground, the hungover from prohibition sense that buying cannabis was taboo, that if a mother of, of young children was to be seen buying medicine from a dispensary by her neighbors, that would be frowned upon. And the inconvenience of waiting in long lines uh, to receive the, the, the available education around what to buy. And I wanted to bring the opportunities of, of software, of screen technology, to really help create more transparency, and also through the branding itself and how that transferred into the UI, make this feel like a product that's being purchased above board. It's safe, it's identifiable, it's not no longer sort of the yeah. green text on black backgrounds websites that we used to see <laughs> 10 years ago. It's, it's yeah, something exactly. that has the professionalism of, a, of the modern UI standards and, and user experience uh, expectations. Yeah. And so this was three or four years ago now. I want to get the That's times right. right. Yeah. So we're still pretty thick in the the cannabis leave background websites and things like that. I mean, it was pretty, pretty rudimentary branding. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how the business sort of started. Like what's, what was the first move of the business? Did you focus on the technology? Did you focus on getting some customers? Like how, how did that really kind of kickstart in terms of the business itself? We were very lucky to have failed <laughs> several <laughs> times. Uh, Joel and I had been working on multiple startups since we were we were quite young and had at that time about six years of experience in making all the mistakes and as also consulting with startup founders. And I think when you're removed, you're not in the business, you're able to observe from it as an outsider, you can spot those kind of yeah. challenges and, and mistakes and perhaps approaches that a lot of founders feel like we should we should approach a business with that are not really the most helpful. So one clear example is the model of the MVP, minimum viable product. And with that experience and with that knowledge, we teamed up with Roger, who also had, uh, he has 20 years of experience in technology and he had one of his own startups before. So as the three of us, Joel was handling the business communications and sales side, okay. Roger backend, backend software data, and I was handling the front end and product and, and the branding side. So Roger and I got together to discuss what this first version of our online ordering online product should be. And in five weeks, we had a minimum viable product mm -hmm. available. We released it to two dispensaries in Denver and we had our proof of concept. They liked it. They were receiving more orders. We were getting feedback from customers that this was an experience that was better than what we're used to. Mm -hmm. And so we saw that as our as our proof that we were onto something and we mm -hmm. carried on building from there. And then I also should say that it, 
pace isn't always the goal, right? When you're getting out of the gate, you mm-hmm. want to save on resources, save money, save time, learn what works and what doesn't as quickly and cheaply as possible. But once we learned some of those indicators, we also took the time about a six-month period into 2015, mm-hmm. where we really thought carefully through how this technology was solving the problem. And then it wasn't about rapid development. It was about iteration and observation and, and learning from our our, our process. Yeah, I, I think you bring up two good points. Uh, I think a lot of people look at successful companies, people that have built successful companies, and they think they kind of woke up one morning for an idea of a company, and by the afternoon they had you know revenues coming in. And, and I think the fact that you've gone, you've gone through several different startups, uh, you know, some of which didn't uh, weren't as successful, is is good to kind of recognize and good for people to know is that it it oftentimes you the, the success that you see in a later stage company is because of the uh, the failures uh, of previous companies or earlier stages. I'd love the idea of the, being iterative around this. I mean, I, you know, coming out of the agile world myself, I think it's applying that kind of philosophy of iterating, getting feedback, developing insight, trial and error, experimenting in kind of smart ways around, you know, increasing your learning velocity about this stuff is key. What, I guess, what were the big questions for you in these early stages? So you found two dispensaries to use your MVP, early version product, what were the things that you were uncertain about that you learned quickly once you had people kind of using the product and interacting with it from an uh, interface point of view? Mm. One big one was this paradigm of B2C versus B2B. We were looking at uh, case studies and references in the form of Yelp and OpenTable and Grubhub and Seamless, and we were seeing the similarities in, in our mission. Those companies are very B2C focused. As an end consumer, you receive a lot of marketing, you receive a lot of push from those companies to engage with their software. And that was actually how we started out of the gates. We wanted to create this system that our cannabis consumer, cannabis patient Uh, would want to engage with so that they could take advantage of a more convenient experience and essentially become a marketplace that would allow consumers to find the right dispensaries, find the products they desired and education across different dispensaries. And then we learned that doesn't work in this particular industry. And it is interesting because it works in other industries very well. And it was a big lesson for us in 2015 to recognize that dispensaries are very, very proud of their individual product. You could say the same about restaurants, but I would argue that to a greater degree, dispensaries believe that their strain of a certain product mm-hmm. is the best. And, and rightly so. They put a lot of work into either growing it or sourcing it yeah. and making sure that they are selling the highest quality cannabis they can. And so that idea of being in a marketplace where a customer could shop with them or easily move to a competitor was not something that was attractive and it wasn't helping us gain sales and, and grow as a, as a company and offer this product to the market. Yeah. So what we did in 2015 was to switch that paradigm and we became solely a B2B company and we decided that we would act as the best friend to the dispensary, the sort yeah. of back of house, all the systems and software that they would need that, that the customer may not even know existed to allow the dispensary to succeed as a business, to grow and to and to sort of join the rest of the world in the larger industry spaces as an official legitimate retail operation. And that, in fact, has happened since then. It's yeah. been great to watch. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an important kind of lesson to learn or, or thing to realize that oftentimes when you first approach the market, you've got a particular business model or a different a particular positioning relative to the market that once you get in there, the reality of the situation tells you that it's not necessarily the the best idea. And the faster you can kind of move and pivot around that, you know, is really where the, the innovation comes. So once you, I guess, had the, you know, your initial product, you had some traction, you had some customers going, tell me about the growth process. Like, What were the kind of the challenges that you started to run into as you had sort of product success? What, what kind of things happened from the business? 
business, either in terms of, you know, technology, people, kind of curious how you've managed to navigate some of the legislation kind of nuances and, and details as things have happened in the various states. I'm not sure if those are big problems for you or not, but I'm curious to get some of the insight. Legislation is definitely important. I wouldn't say we've faced major yeah. challenges with legislation. We haven't hit any major roadblocks, but we had to enter that very responsibly because ultimately the dispensaries were relying on us to make sure that their customers weren't reserving product illegally or you know exceeding mm-hmm. for example the ordering limits on a, on a specific purchase or ordering the product that they don't have access to in medical markets for example mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of responsibility for us to build our technology not only to cater to Colorado where we initially started but also to prepare ourselves for the expansion yeah. through many states we're in 24 or so states now and we also operate in Canada. We also have discussions with other countries, Puerto Rico and Jamaica specifically, about mm-hmm. using our software in those countries. And one of the ways we were able to scale quickly, despite the very, very different regulatory demands of different territories, was by building a business rules engine. This yeah. was an idea of uh, Rogers originally. We built a business rules engine that allowed us to plug in all of those major attributes per state. And when we grew to new states, we could just plug in those numbers in one sort of sheet, one place within the, the code base and not spend months having to iterate our platform to make it ready for new territories. So that was a challenge, but one I'm proud to say that we approached uh, perspicaciously. And I think that the bigger challenge for businesses starting in 2014, 2015 was also funding. It definitely wasn't easy then, and it's still much more limited in in scope for investor and, and other capital availability than most other industries. That has to do with multiple factors, including the limited partner agreements that a lot of funds are are contained by and we had some struggles with fundraising and it it just took longer than we were used to from our previous businesses but we got there in the end and one huge huge benefit to us was joining 500 startups the accelerator program in san francisco Mm -hmm. and that happened at just such a key time and we were about to hit this inflection point as a business but we needed the extra guidance the extra support and the the financing as well and it was just this wonderful sweet spot that we entered that four-month program. And when we came out, we were much, much better off as a business. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes being lucky is the is the best thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> time <laughs> can make can make such the difference. A week too late mm-hmm. and that it, it can be a dramatically different outcome. I guess as you've kind of been in this industry and you've kind of developed this technology, you've worked with the dispensaries, what have you kind of learned about the business or learned about the the cannabis industry in terms of the dynamics, in terms of, you know, how how is it similar or different than than other industries that you've worked in before? What are some of the insights you can give us as an overall kind of market? I'm happy to say that it's becoming more and more similar in all the ways that we were hoping for several years ago. The intelligence of the operators who now want to use data to inform their marketing, they want to use intelligent dashboard systems to make sure that they're offering the best quality product and also giving their customers and patients the best possible experience. We're seeing a lot of cleanup in the gray areas of the market, whereas Mm -hmm. before, as you know, especially in California, there were for 10 or 15 years operators selling cannabis in the gray market. And in a way that paved a path for this to happen, what's happening today with much more globally accepted deregulation or re-regulation. I think that the the major shifts in business savviness in software platforms available as well as uh, logistics platforms available to the industry are all positive shifts. In general, the, the way that 
consumers are responding to the product is also with a greater expectation of education. More and more consumers and patients are aware that there is still poor quality cannabis on the market, on both the black market and the white market, that they should be more diligent about making sure that the products, the strains that they're purchasing were not grown in environments where there might have been mold or other toxicity. And all of that is positive because the fewer incidents of negative or less than positive or even just substandard yeah. experiences that, that people are getting from this medicine are is going to sort of again lead the way towards the industry legitimizing and becoming globally expanded. Yeah. I certainly have had many conversations about how this market is going to change pretty dramatically once we move from the kind of you know traditional cannabis users that are just kind of going from the black and gray market to white market, you know, uh, activities or purchases to starting to open up to general population. I mean, there's there's a whole whole huge world out there of people that you know have not used cannabis that are now potential markets. And I think, you know, approaching them and, and helping them understand the products, educating them, understanding the uses, finding, you know, not only um, the effects, but how does it fit into different types of lifestyles and stuff. I mean, I've seen people doing, you know, coconut waters and, you know, all sorts of new products where they're taking, you know, the, the raw cannabis and finding just, just different uses for it that is not just kind of continuation of, of the historic cannabis, but just brand new uses. What what do you think are some of the challenges as, that companies are going to go through as as that happens? Like as you see this market kind of opening up to new segments, what do you think people need to be aware of or the challenges they're going to face? Well, one aspect is that we're starting to see this year pharmaceutical companies enter the industry. Yeah. And I believe the first pharmaceutical CBD product was released just recently this month. And that's interesting because it obviously brings a certain legitimacy to cannabis and to CBD specifically. It's also something that maybe with larger operators in the industry, there'll be less sense of control or sense of feedback loops into the quality of education that's coming with who's receiving those products. And so I think it's the responsibility of the operators in the cannabis industry specifically to maintain that expectation, that yeah. standard, to let the audience, the customers and patients know that that information can be available and that they should be demanding it before they choose any product that isn't well-branded with that information and, and transparency available. That's one aspect. And it's interesting seeing the new technology advancements coming out. There's a group called Molecular Testing Labs, I believe they're in Oregon, mm -hmm. that is providing a saliva test swab kit oh, that allows any consumer to take a personal home home saliva test, send yeah. that back in a prepackaged envelope, and receive a full report on their specific endocannabinoid system and how their body specifically metabolizes yeah. these products. And so that can help consumers learn what, the, what products they should be shopping for if they are looking for certain effects like uh, better sleep yeah. or reduced anxiety, pain management, that kind of thing. And, and the list of those types of benefits is just going to continue growing as the science becomes more and more well-established. Yeah, I think that whole uh, idea of kind of customized medicine or customized cannabis, you know, this, this well, every, everyone's profile is different. You're going you're gonna to metabolize it differently. And therefore, if you tend towards certain types of products or certain types of strains or certain types of applications uh, is, is a fascinating one because I think that's a lot of what I mean, I just I think a lot what a lot of people struggle with is the purchase process, the actual product kind of interaction process is is challenging right now. You know, going into a dispensary and figuring out, okay, well, I don't even know what to ask for. I don't know what to tell. I'm not sure exactly what I should be, how I should be navigating these things. 
is probably one of the hardest parts of, of this industry right now. And as, as that matures, I think you'll see more sophisticated versions of that and, and even just whole segments. I mean, I think, you know, from a branding point of view, uh, there's, I think there's great opportunities for just developing brands around these different segments that are just saying, look, we're just focused on this type of person looking for this kind of, this kind of engagement with the product. Yes. To sort of respond to your earlier question about what's, what's changing or, or how does this industry seem to be set apart from many other industries? Yeah. Also, the fact that there isn't as much of a legacy of the infrastructure and I would say the inertia of other industries, Mm -hmm. it's all brand new, fresh faced and really being created as we speak. That gives an opportunity for as innovators in the industry to develop systems in the way that they should be developed as opposed to based on sort of responses to what the market has become accustomed to over the last, say, 100 years. You look at the alcohol industry, the consumer is very, very entrenched in how you purchase alcohol, the way you get marketed about it, the choices that you make, where you make them. Online ordering for for alcohol still has never really taken off, even though there are some great technologies for for doing that. People still expect that they're going to walk into the local liquor store or wine store and make those decisions. They expect that they're going to have a certain type of conversation with their friends or with even the experts about that. And I think because there isn't that preset paradigm for most consumers in this industry, bearing in mind that the people that are purchasing cannabis legally now, many of them are coming to cannabis new. They're they're newly uh, educated about the the benefits cannabis can offer. And so we have a responsibility, again, as well as an opportunity to create that new paradigm for for the systems in place. And like I say, there's a fresh canvas. We can can build it however we think is best for the the market. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I would say, it's the security keyboard problem. Problem, right. I mean, we're still typing on these ancient keyboards because, you know, of an old issue that we have long since solved, but yet we can't get out of it because of the standards. You know, we don't have that issue here on cannabis. We can really we can set new ground. The other thing I find that's interesting, I don't know if you've noticed this, but just because of the, the regulation side of it and the whole kind of conundrum win with the, with the state versus federal is that it means that a lot of players that otherwise might be very quick to go in and, and establish themselves in the space are not doing it because they don't you know, they don't want to touch it for various, you know, they don't want to taint other business business lines or other businesses that they're in, which creates an interesting space for being able to really innovate in these areas that are are um, are kind of it's open season. It's open. It's an open field, and I've seen a lot of companies come in and, and really create interesting solutions for the cannabis space because other companies don't want to come in that have potentially existing products or extensible products in the space haven't done it. And that's an interesting one that I've seen, and, and it's and it's curious to see people come in into that market and take advantage of that. I don't know if you've noticed companies doing that, but it's. Uh, it's one that I picked up. Definitely. I would say we're in that boat. Yeah. I mean, many of the systems we've created are very, very innovative. I would say They're, they are specific to the industry. There are so many specificities to how yeah. cannabis is sold, the pricing models for it, the regulatory restrictions per state and even county, many of the other aspects to how a consumer interacts with this marketplace. So I wouldn't say that any other, say, e-commerce or loyalty or marketing messaging company could have just landed in the cannabis industry. The same goes for point of sale systems specifically. But that said, I think many of them would have made those amendments to their to their technology and moved into the industry much sooner than now if they had been able to. And the fact that they haven't been able to has allowed for many other entrepreneurs and and innovators to come into this industry with a head start. And that will, I'm sure, change in the next yeah. Who can guess how many years, but yeah. uh, it will change. But it's very, very interesting that, again, going back to the idea of not having inertia or preset expectations be- behind the innovation in this industry, 
most companies that would have been in, who are already operating in other industries and, and are large yeah. who would have moved into the cannabis industry would have had a preset precognition about what was yeah. to be offered to this market. And because we as entrepreneurs have come in without that uh, that preconfiguration, I would say we, we've been able to very much cater to exactly how the operators in cannabis want to want to deal with their technology. Yeah, it's a, it's a great kind of situation to be in as an entrepreneur and having that, that blank slate or at least a clear field to start developing and, and playing in. So I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of where you see the market going. And I know that you've got an announcement for Baker. So why don't we, why don't we talk a little bit about that in the context of how you see uh, kind of business playing out, because I think we are in the, we're at least in the beginnings of kind of, I think, the next phase of the industry. We've got a lot of different players in there in different areas that are developing great products. But as the market expands, you know, those things are going to have to kind of get put together in different ways. Tell us what's going on with Baker. And I know you can talk about some of it and not about others, but uh, mm-hmm. but let's do it in the sense of, you know, where some of these companies, uh, I think, are kind of going and, and what kind of uh, business activity I think we're going to see in the coming years uh, in the cannabis space. Yes, well, I'm excited that we've recently announced a merger between Baker and three other companies. We have, uh, I think, made a really, really powerful combination of businesses that allows us to broaden our scope beyond the retail space and through the entire industry ecosystem. We now have access to the data as well as to the just the operational expertise and the capital that comes along with now building our business through the cultivation, the processing and producing and retail spaces, as well as, again, technology bringing the types of insights and the type of understanding of what's working and what's not working that can make for a really powerful combination and ultimately bring bigger insights, more helpful insights to the industry. So as Baker, we continue to build the best quality products in technology that we can for our dispensary clients. And by being more aware of what's working and what's uh, really making an impact for the industry, we can do a much better job, much more educated job of building those products for the industry. Yeah, I think that sort of vertical integration makes a lot of sense, um, especially at this point in the market where there's there's so much advantage to having insight and communication from, you know, from from seed all the way to, uh, you know, use that that being able to really know what's happening at each stage and be able to develop insight and strategy around that, I think is, uh, you know, it's it's a good strategic move. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how things play out for you. And I guess what what do you anticipate in terms of, I guess, where you see that kind of market going? Do you, would you expect that more companies look at this kind of partnership, integration, consolidation, either, you know, across geographic or from a production point of view? What do you see as being kind of the likely dynamics in the industry? I do see consolidation coming. And I think a large component of that is that much larger funds and financing are entering yeah. the industry now that legitimization has been established. The the opportunity for both large and small companies to essentially just do a better job of what they are offering is now available with that capitalization and with the types of consolidation that I think accelerate the movement of different operators in different parts of the ecosystem to spread more quickly throughout the states and even globally. Uh, We're seeing obviously very interesting shifts and movements happening in Canada. Mm -hmm. And this is creating a a big tie between Canada and America, given there are both the the superpowers for cannabis as it stands. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to see a lot of capital entering from both abroad as well as within these two countries 
that will help the consolidation essentially bring different components of innovation for the way cannabis is grown, the way it's tested, the way that it's processed and yeah. produced into, into various MIP products and on the retail level as well. That's great. Uh, just kind of curious, if you were uh, going out and starting uh, a new business today, so if you were an entrepreneur kind of you know getting into the space, and are areas that you would focus on either kind of specific problems or domains that you think, uh, you know, still have some untapped potential in the cannabis space? I would say that any type of business that you have, that your audience has seen in any other industry that offers value of some sort can offer value in the cannabis industry. And while many, many technology companies have spawned in the last four or five years, there are still so many opportunities in, in this industry that I, it's hard to pinpoint one because yeah. I think some of the more popular ones or the more obvious shots like SMS marketing, which we're obviously involved in, like point of sale systems, wholesale platforms, inventory tracking, uh, security and delivery is a big one. There's a fair amount of competition in those different aspects. But it's interesting when you see the, the components of the market, the corners that maybe don't have the spotlight on them that people have not necessarily assumed would be the value add to cannabis. We have a great relationship with the company Work, W-U-R-K, oh, and yeah. they built an HR and personnel management system for the cannabis industry that really sort of sits in that corner of the unsexy businesses that wow. actually provide a lot of a lot of value and are needed in cannabis. And so I encourage you know anyone who's interested in entering the industry to not think about the, the obvious ones, yeah. the things that we would see on TechCrunch for for restaurants, whatever, <laughs> but to look at where their expertise may bring value to the cannabis space and to go for it because there's plenty more opportunity. It's one of these areas like cryptocurrency, I think, which the market believes is is late in the game. And actually, we're going to find that we're all still very, very early in yeah. this space. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that similar to my answer, which is typically, uh, A, it's, you probably look at less sexy, <laughs> so unsexy businesses, I think I have a lot of opportunity. And it's more about what are, what are you passionate enough to like eat, breathe and live for a full year 24 seven? That's probably more Absolutely. important than the, than the biggest market opportunity because you're going to have to invest everything into it to make it work. Mm -hmm. David, this has been Absolutely. great. If people want to find out more about Baker, find out more about you, what's the best way to get a hold of you and get more information? Our company is Baker Technologies. Our website is trybaker.com. That's T-R-Y-B-A-K-E-R. And my personal LinkedIn handle, uh, or I should say uh, Twitter handle is DS underscore champion. Great. I'll make sure that both of those are in the show notes so people can get those. David, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. We will keep in touch and I'll be curious to, uh, we can do another episode uh, in a couple of months post uh, merger here and we can hear how things are going. But uh, I'm excited for you. It sounds like you're doing some great work and you've got some exciting opportunities coming up. Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.